Hi, everyone, and welcome to our fifth episode in our series, Where Does Your Cotton Come From? A special podcast series and a special edition of the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton from BASF. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, your Fiber Development Manager from BASF and Manager of our E3 Sustainable Cotton Program. I'm excited to be joined again today by Andrew Ola and Bob Anishak of Ola Inc. So Bob and Andrew, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great, Jennifer. Um, hope your day's going well. It, Same here, Jennifer. Hope, right, you're, awesome. hope you're surviving. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. We have uh, been in some crazy weather here in the southeastern part of the U.S. and it's finally good to see sun after about two weeks so I um, was wondering if I was gonna have to schedule a light therapy or something to help me get some sunshine down here <laughs> but yeah and I'm also happy to introduce our guest Rowan Atwood. Rowan is the Senior Director of Global Sustainable Business at Contour Brands so Rowan how are you doing today? I'm doing great thanks thanks for uh, having me on the show and it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah and we're excited and um, Rowan, I know you and I have had some great conversations over and collaborations over the last, um, you know, year or so and really surrounding sustainability and both of our, you know, we share that passion so much about sustainability and whereas we think it goes more than just saying either one of our companies or whoever we're with has a program, but really just more about a lifestyle and, a, you know, what we do and what we truly live out to be better at the, you know, leave something better and something bigger than just ourselves. And, you know, so before we kind of get into some of that Q&A and um, with Andrew and Bob and myself, I was just wondering, you know, could you take a little bit and describe Rowan, what you do at Contour Brands, um, you know, how you got into sustainability and, you know, some of the brands that you work with for our listeners. Uh, yeah, happy to. Um, so maybe I'll just start with myself and the work upwards to, to Contour and, and our brands. But, you know, I, I felt really fortunate uh, growing up in, in, in northern Maine, um, coastal Maine, where, you know, there's a lot of abundance of nature. It's sort of impossible to avoid in a wonderful way. You know, you think about it all the time. Um, and, you know, also just in our household, you know, my father was an architect and, and spent time constructing buildings. So, you know, I, I think that from an early age, I was really thinking about the way that nature interacted with the built environment, but also how things came together, you know, how things were engineered and constructed and just this idea of like industriousness um, was, was like a positive thing in a certain way. And I think it fell naturally into my career path as I began to, to take this lens of, of nature and, and in the future state sustainability and look at how things were made and how things were constructed and consumer products and ultimately up into apparel. So it's been, um, it's been a, a really uh, great 18 years of my career, just, just working with a variety of different brands and companies and uh, moving into consulting at some point and, and, and then having the opportunity to join this team at Contour Brands, which is the, the parent company of, of Wrangler and Lee Jeans. Um, these two brands are, are well known around the world you know, for their, their legacy and their, their, their continued commitment to, to create denim. Um, and it's, it's just been a, a wonderful opportunity to connect with these brands, to represent these brands, to, to be a part of you know, what we do every day to, to make denim, to take it from cotton in the field, right, all the way up through the supply chain and, and uh, you know, put a finished product into market. Is uh, is an amazing thing, you know, and I think it's it's got more than 
you know, more than five or six individual supply chain actors. There's a, a life cycle to product creation. And now at this intersection of sustainability, there's this opportunity to, to really think intentionally about all of the components that, you know, make its way up into product. How do we build sustainable product? And that's part of the journey that we're on with Wrangler and Lee. And it's been a big focus for us is, is how do we do things better? You know, how do we do things without a negative footprint? How do we minimize that footprint? How do we change chemistry? How do we change the way that our energy mix goes into um, the different um, supply chain uh, components, uh, you know, individual manufacturing sites? So it's a series of, of different things. You know, there's no one day uh, uh, in, in a sustainability journey is, is never the same as the one before, but it's all fresh and new all the time. You know, it's, uh, it's always attempting to look at things differently, to look at how we make product uh, better and ultimately just, you know, better for not just for us, but for future generations and preserve some of our natural resources so that everybody can access them equally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, Roland. And um, yeah, so I guess we'll have to make sure we chat offline because I, I know you've told me about you being from Maine and some of that area. And, and um, I visited up that way last year and it was great because I can tell you, you guys have the beautiful area. And so I could see where some of that would come from and definitely some good restaurants and good food up there. So that's uh, very exciting there. And so um, and I know Bob, Andrew, I know you guys and we, you know, always constantly chat. And, you know, I will say with Rowan, I, I love I'm glad that he was able to be on, um, you know, and talk with us today, because one thing, you know, I can say is that Rowan really does, and uh, Wrangler and Lee and those guys set the bar high um, for sustainability and their commitment. And, you know, just where they've got a lot of proof of concepts and other things they've done and be able to make happen. So, you know, and Bob, I know um, I'll just kind of turn it over to you and Andrew, just to kind of ask some of those questions and um, as we walk through it. Thanks, Jennifer, a lot. Uh, Rowan, uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, uh, as you know, I'll probably end up uh, retiring in Maine. <laughs> so, <laughs> FYI. So, uh, anyway. uh, but uh, one of the things I did want to ask about was pro probably the most pressing issue for our industry at the moment, or one of the most pressing issues, is uh, COVID. Yeah. And, and how has that affected uh your business, it seems like it's, uh, it's affected a lot of folks negatively. Some folks, though, have seen it as kind of a downtime to do some creative uh, repackaging. It just depends on the organization. So I was curious, how has that uh, affected uh, Contour? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. <laughs> on the most simplest you know, form, it, it's affected the whole world. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable uh, the amount of disruption that it's created. But um, I mean, you can certainly turn to like, you know, our quarterly earnings report to understand the direct impact of the business. But uh, and, and, you know, we're all weird and want this thing to end. Uh, that's for sure. But <laughs> yeah. I think you're, you're right. There's there is a real silver lining here. Um, there is this new opportunity um, where people within organizations, people within our organization, we're working together like never before. You know, I think we're, we're collaborating with tools, uh, tools that we, we're, we're just familiarizing ourselves with sometimes, but we're using those tools to innovate and innovate better. We're using those tools to like connect, you know, digi different digital uh, tools, different co collaboration platforms. You know, I think it's, it's our organization and all organizations are having to evolve uh, as society figures out how to navigate during this difficult and unknown times. But it is making us sharper. I think it's, it's making us 
sort of more appreciative of, of one another and, and the individual face time that we do have with each other. Um, and it's, it's really testing our resilience. And I think that um, all organizations that are, are willing to pivot and, and to embrace this challenge and, um, you know, and, and have sometimes some, some, you know, what appears to be difficult conversations over a video conference call or, you know, work it out through the, the context of this environment we're all going to be better for it. And I think that we're experiencing that. And I think that we're experiencing, we're, we're starting to feel that there's some real positive upside to just organizing ourselves digitally with one another. Um, there's a real efficiency that can come out of that. And, you know, with efficiency, of course, is, is ultimately, um, you know, a more sustainable organization. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, I know in my case, I've become a wizard at uh, Zoom. <laughs> right. So, yes, you know, as I think all of us have. Um, put your industry hat on for a second, uh, Rowan. Uh, how do you think the overall trade will respond uh, because of COVID? The overall trade? The overall trade, the industry. So put your industry hat on. And how do you think the industry will overall respond after? Or what will it look like? Or, or what trends do you, do you see occurring because of the, uh, the COVID impact? Yeah, I mean, I see, I think there's there's a couple things that, that emerged, you know, one that um, we've seen um, that, that just generally that people will be more interested and more cognizant of, you know, where their products come from, you know, how their products are made and, and who made them. You know, we saw some, some early insights, consumer insights that, uh, you know, people are trending, sustainable denim is, tre- is a, a word that's trending on, on search engines uh, in a way that it had in pre-COVID, right? So, like, people are becoming more conscious with their purchasing decisions, um, you know, and I think that that is, uh, that's refreshing and probably because it's it's a more meaningful and conscious act, right? People are being more careful with where they put their spend, you know, and I think we also recognize that, that so it's like people are shopping with their values, and I think at the same time, you know, people also appreciate um, that there's there's a, a connectivity and a greater um, uh, support for for you know value based pr- uh, product product that, uh, that is at opening price point. You know, there's like this values and, and value based at the same time. So um, you know, I think we're seeing these two emerging trends. I think we just we're going to see uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a difficult time for our industry in in, in general. Like, there's going to be some people that aren't going to make it. You know, I think there are going to be some companies that are going to be challenged. But, you know, I think that if we can continue to connect with consumers and meet their needs and, and ultimately, you know, approach it as, as value driven and values based at the same time, I think that there's a there's an opportunity to to really come ahead. Thanks a lot for that, Rowan. Uh, very interesting insights. Uh, Andrew, you're Mr. Uh, sustainability <laughs> these days. So. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, hey, um, I know you have questions for Rowan, so uh, I do. fire away. I do have questions. Um, Rowan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Andrew? I'm good. Another day in paradise. <laughs> I know that, sustain- that sustainability and your initiatives, your company's initiatives for, are, are, are really serious about its sustainability. Has COVID adversely affected any of your initiatives? And has the lockdown provided you with time to develop new initiatives that you could share with us? I mean, it's given us all time to re to re kind of assess things. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it certainly has given us more time to reassess things, maybe more time than we had imagined. Right. Um, but, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> but I, you know, I, and it's true. I think in times like this, you have to, 
you you do have to look at the your priorities and i think yeah we we've we have decreased our number of priorities in our focus areas um but the ones that we are focused on are receiving sort of you know to the, the, the common adage, laser-like focus, right? Like we are putting all of our emphasis into those core areas that, that matter most. And, you know, I think it's, it's not hard to imagine what those are. If you're familiar, familiar with the materiality process or materiality issues for, for our supply chain, you know, we're really thinking about our water footprint. We're really thinking about our energy footprint, our materials for footprint, which obviously includes, you know, uh, cotton, um, but it's, it's the type of thing where we cannot, uh, we cannot lose focus. You know, we, as an organization, we, as an industry, um, and we, there's an evolution that has begun and we need to continue with this, that a denim cannot afford to lose its sight on sustainability. And I think that, you know, w- when you think of what COVID is and the bigger challenge, societal challenge, you know, um, a sustainability platform within any organization or, um, you know, something like the sustainable development goals, they're all working towards this future state of a world that we want to live in where things like COVID can be avoided. What do I mean by that, right? Like there's this one health concept where the intersection between, you know, planetary health is really predicated on the health of our animals and the animal kingdom and the connectivity with how that all trickles down to, you know, the, this human environment. And when one of those, uh, you know, animal kingdom, uh, environment, human environment, when one of those are off, they're all off. That the, the, the vulnerability that we have to animal born diseases um, is on a rapid increase. And this, you know, COVID might not be the last one that we have to think more globally and holistically about the way that we intersect with uh, with animals and our environment. And that's why things like, you know, as, as mundane and as, you know, rudimentary as a forest derived materials policy, that's important stuff. You know, that's important stuff because it protects critical habitat for wildlife that keeps them healthy and keeps them from transmitting diseases. Um, so, you know, I, I do see it as this, this, this grander thing that's all connected. You know, I don't know if any, we have any new initiatives coming out um, other than we're, we're, we're continuing with the, the most important, most salient issues and, uh, and just doing them better. Well, that's awesome. And I don't think anybody could ask any company do, to do more than that. I think God knows there's been a lot of stress on every company and to keep going the way you're going is great. Um, I have some production questions for you. Um, when we deal with sustainable production, can you give us some examples of Contour's approach to sustainability in production? Do you have any any suppliers doing things that you want to share with us that are interesting? Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I think when we think about, um, you know, engaging with suppliers and, and, and what is it that is important to us? We, first of all, we need to be clear ourselves right out of the gate as an organization. And that's why, um, you know, I will share that we're internally, we're working on um, some, some, a new set of sustainability goals, which is pretty exciting. And it's pretty foundational and important to communicate to suppliers or to the, the bedrock from which we will spring forth and ultimately create our marching orders and our connectivity to that product that we build. So it's exciting to see how sustainability is something that everyone feels internally. They all feel this urgency and responsibility to take action during this goal creation process. Um, but so I think that when we, when we think about taking those goal areas, water, energy, materials, 
how do we bring those to life and interact with the supply chain? How do we interact with suppliers? What are our suppliers doing that are particularly meaningful to us? You know, we, we chose to invest in this waterless dye, foam dye technology um, several years ago as Wrangler and Lee. Um, and, you know, we're excited to see this technology emerge throughout the supplier base as p different suppliers embrace it. Uh, you know, us ourselves, we actually have some cut so manufacturing and we were able to to avoid 7 billion liters of water over uh, more than a 10 year time horizon uh, using various different water recycling initiatives, using a sequential batch reactor and, and microfiltration and reverse osmosis, all these steps within a wastewater treatment plant to really conserve that water. And, you know, after doing it for 10 years, <laughs> really pushing ourselves and pushing the teams to, to think differently about how we can finish product, it's, it's been successful. Um, you know, and I think that when we look at our supplier base, we're looking for suppliers that are committed to being a good steward on the planet, you know, much like that are connected to our goal. Um, you know, and it, it's about suppliers that are able to increase wastewater recycling, increase the renewable energy footprint, um, committed to, you know, good uh, environmental management systems and factory. Those are the types of things that we look for. How do they treat their workers and what are the what's the worker well-being program that they're offering? What is that holistic type of uh, supplier um, commitment that we can we can connect and rally with and, and ultimately feel good about you know, and, and I'm also super appreciative of suppliers that are willing to talk traceability with me. You know, I think it's 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 something in our future that uh, something we have to solve for. Well, you led me into the next question. That was really great of you. Um, what do you think the industry's efforts towards implementation of traceability and transparency? How do you think it's going? Well, I think that there's a lot more work to be done. Um, you know, I think that uh, we need to get transparency and traceability seamless, right? Like, first of all, it's super important. It's of growing importance. Um, you know, so much of our value chain is evolving. You know, they're evolving on farm, right? Like we're, they're evolving how they grow cotton. There's been so much uh, on-farm technology evolution that has, has happened in that part of the supply chain. We see major mechanical changes and lasers and use of ozone and foam dye technology. Are we to think that we're going to be absent from a traceability technology standpoint? Are we think that the, 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 the accounting methodologies that we use of the past are going to be the, the, the same methodologies we're going to use in the future? They're not. They can't be. But I think that there needs to be a, an appreciation and an understanding for the distinction between traceability and transparency. You know, I think that when we think transparency, we understand the origins of fiber and materials. And when we think um, traceability, it's traceability that has data preservation associated with it. It has accompanying environmental data that is, is desperately needed. That traceability, that, that, that transparency, ultimately those two things like are, are fundamentally connected and it absolutely is connected to, to cotton. And I think that if anyone can do it, it is certainly the cotton supply chain. It has to be, I mean, cotton already has a really strong infrastructure for trading on quality and, permanent bail ID tracking numbers that can be used to, for stronger ID preservation. I think this type of transparency is exactly what future consumers are looking for. Yeah. And that's uh, interesting, Rowan, you know, and I think you hit on a great point that about transparency, traceability, it has to be seamless. And, you know, some of the accepted practices going forward, we need to challenge them. Um, there's a saying I've always said, and 
you know, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. And so I think that's where, you know, really working together to say, you know what, well, let's, let's challenge that. Yes, it can be done. Um, and I know Rowan, you were very instrumental um, with our A3 program and working together with us um, yep. with your Wrangler Rooted project in the program. And I was just wondering if you might could talk a little bit about that program, um, you know, how that kind of came about and then also, plans for the future for that um, because I really think it's a perfect example, a great example of brands working with farmers to form that traceable, transparent supply chain all the way through um, and that really good proof of concept to, I guess, debunk some of those, you know, it can't be done because it really can be done. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, when we partnered with, with E3 on the, the Wrangler Rooted Collection, you know, it was it was an experiment. We didn't know what we were going to be able to achieve. We knew that we wanted to work. Um, you know, we wanted to be able to to tell a farmer story. We really respected these growers that were leading in best practice that were using land stewardship practices, a series of of different use of cover crops, conservation tillage, complex rotation, efficient watering technologies. Like there is just so much activity right now with these growers that are just pushing the envelope of what they can do on farm. And they, they are leading in innovation practice. And I think that, you know, working with E3 allowed us to, to access these growers, to, to, to build a partnership with growers, allowed us to have a dialogue and discussion and ultimately create a product um, that was directly traceable to their farm, to their state and to their local community. Because as much as it was, as it was a farmer story, it was also just a celebration of the local community. And it was a celebration of where things come from, you know? And I think that that's what was, was um, you know, super surprising and interesting to, to me is one of the, the spillover benefits, right? We now just unlocked this in, entire um, group of people that were, were able to have a conversation with uh, through, through genes, through denim. If you're not familiar with the Rooted Collection, there's a, a lot of different, what we call surprise and delight trims, things that highlight where the gene came from. Inside the pocket print will be a signature of the farmer and uh, talk about their commitment and the things that they've done. But, you know, E3 was able to help us uh, with, with the data collection and ultimately get to that definition of, of sustainability. We have to define sustainability. We have to be able to look at individual metrics and feel confident in sort of what's happening on farm. And there's a situation where that environmental data did pull through. And we can say with confidence that these are the results of those actions of those on-farm practices and get excited about that. And, you know, I think that, you know, our, our future state is, you know, still forming, you know, we certainly have um, uh, interest to, to, to put out more rooted collection to be, to be coming soon uh, to a retailer near you. <laughs> but <laughs> it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, we, we definitely, uh, and to that point of that, that earlier question, we've got to get to, um, as a trade group, as a, as an industry, we got to get to that seamlessness, you know, and I think that, you know, we, uh, we certainly pulled that off with E3 and we'll continue to build our partnership, you know, hopefully in the U S and beyond in other geographies. But I also think that, you know, it's, it's the thing where we've, we've kind of set a, a little bit of a, a, a target, a North star for ourselves in partnership with E3. And I think it's the kind of thing where, we need to share that with other brands, with the entire community and, and sort of find best practices to get to that, that ease where everybody is doing it because that's the future, right? And we know that. 
Yeah. And I think too, with that partnership and with that program, you know, I think you said it great when you said, you know, it's really about telling, you know, the farmer story and that community, local community story, because, you know, Bob, Andrew, we've all met growers and I've worked in the industry and with farmers my entire career, 18 plus years. And I found them to be some of the most humble people, but the best stewards of the land. And, you know, I, I really want to commend you guys on telling that story and telling their story because so many of them are so humble. They won't tell their good story. And so it's exciting to be able to see that all come together and, you know, just how beautiful that collection came together with it. So it was very fun, very fun. Nice. Yeah. Agreed. Hey, Rowan, maybe we talk uh, polyester. For a minute. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, uh, cotton's lost uh, market share for about, oh goodness, probably 25 years. It's been losing market share to uh, synthetic fibers. So I was curious to get your take on synthetic fibers opposite cotton. But also, uh, I, I asked that from the prism of uh, sustainability. Yeah. Uh, so was wondering if you could give us a little guidance on that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, yeah. Let's be candid. I mean, I think that we are on the precipice of a new environmental issue that um, and human health issue that um, warrants a, an, an extreme amount of focus and attention to solve for it. And that's the emergence of microplastics in our environment. Um, you know, we knew they ended up in waterways we knew that uh, that we were we were raining and, and ending up in remote geographies around the world, and some of the newer science is showing that there's even this level of micro microplastics, right? A level of plastics that were smaller than originally imagined, and we have the ability to inhale them through the air. Um, so let's not do that. <laughs> you know, I think there's a, <laughs> there is there's been a major shift in, in our category in, in denim. You know, there's been a lot of love and affection for for stretch and performance. And, and I get it like that stretch and performance is, is, uh, is, it has a lot of value to the, to the consumer that's comfortable and, you know, has a lot of flexibility with wear occasions and things like that. And all that is important, but let's, you know, let's not forget the origins of, of denim and the value of a natural fiber and the, the value that it has to our environment, especially when, when managed under land stewardship practices, there's an opportunity to actually regenerate soils. There's an opportunity to, to um, improve um, some of our agricultural growing areas, some of the um, some of the more degraded lands have an opportunity to improve. You know, so I think that um, <clears throat> it's with microplastics in our environment, it's something we're going to have to mitigate, and that means we got to reduce our overall synthetic content. You know, and I think, or we've got to develop natural fibers in, in a future state to to operate like synthetics. Um, you know, I think some of that work is going on now. You know, we can improve synthetics and maybe synthetics out of bio-based materials. There's a lot of new emerging technologies in synthetics that, you know, people are hopeful about, um, bio-based, bio-additives that help with the degradation, you know. But I think that um, – and that's all important stuff. And I think that, you know, we, we have been able to, to get to more circularity with some synthetics, you know, recycled content with, with recycled polyester. But – you know, at the same time, too, I mean, we cannot overlook just the value of a, of a natural crop and, and the value of a, a living system. There's there is just a tremendous amount of environmental benefit that can come from that, um, that, you know, synthetics might be challenged to, to, to produce a, a similar uh, sustainability performance. Thanks, Rowan. 
I have a question. It's Andrew. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about your opinion of organic cotton and the role that organic plays in business today. But also, I wanted to hear you talk about what you think about sustainably grown cotton compared to organically grown cotton. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tricky question, but I'm happy to answer it. I mean, I think that, um, you know, first of all, it's important to recognize that these are all there's all there's frameworks. There's these management frameworks out there and organic cotton is a management framework. Some of the other cotton growing um, initiatives are, are these frameworks. And when I say framework, it, it's an approach and it's these metrics that are used. And I think that, you know, when you when you stack all of these frameworks up, um, they all have a varying approach. They all have varying metrics. And, and it's really important to, to not overgeneralize when we're talking about sustainable cotton. There's a couple key rules that, I, that I'm a stickler for. One, you can't immediately compare one country sustainable cotton performance to another country sustainable cotton performance. They're just fundamentally different growing environments. You can't compare, you know, the impacts of agriculture from one crop to another crop um, and, and think that you're comparing apples to apples. It's not just not fundamentally not fair. Right. Um, and I think also if you wanted to be even more technically accurate, you shouldn't be comparing from one region to the other or from one soil type to the other, because the sustainability potential for every farmer in every different region is different. And the methods that they use and the practices that they use to get to that higher end of sustainability performance is different in every region. And that's, you know, fundamentally, I'm just making your question more complex, right? Which is like, look at all the myriad of possibilities. But I think that if we, there is a way to have a harmonized metrics to measure sustainability performance, um, th taking all those variabilities into account and finding a way to, to, to celebrate the best of sustainability performance in each geography without pitting them against each other, there's a, there's a, real, there, there's a real future in that. And I think also we have to remember that the frameworks and their metrics that in all the different constructions, some are binary questions. Yes, no, I don't do that. I do do this. Others of them collect data, meaningful data of what happens on farm. Not all those frameworks are equal. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for the organic certificate. Of course, they've done a lot of important work to, you know, reduce chemicals throughout our supply chain. And, you know, at the same time, they, they, they claim that biodiversity is something that, that they uh, that they improve upon, but they don't actually measure biodiversity in their metrics in order to validate that type of claim. We could go all day <laughs> and look at a framework that makes claims about something that they may or may not even measure, or they use a surrogate uh, set of data or value or a model from a life cycle assessment to represent real world data that happened from season to season to season. And unfortunately, Farming doesn't work like that. Agriculture doesn't work like that. You know, it's, uh, I recently had a conversation with a farmer that was up somewhere on the, the Mississippi River Delta, and he was saying that we were, running, we were measuring the, um, the edge effect and the runoff with various different sensors and meters because we were trying to determine us as cotton farmers, what's our contribution to Gulf hypoxia, right? And uh, he said, you know, typically, um, you know, the, the, the general answer is we don't. Like, cotton farmers are not – um, spraying in excess and contributing to that, unless we have a big weather event year. And then I asked the next question, well, how often are you having that? Well, more and more every year. So in essence, you know, the measurement tools and the ability to, to quantify environmental impact data is, is not as sophisticated.
we think it is. And there needs to be, and it ties back to transparency and traceability. Uh, there needs to be uh, the opportunity to have visibility into the environmental performance data of that actual crop that makes its way up and through the supply chain. And I think no matter what framework we're talking about, um, you know, I think that, that there, there needs to be a little bit of pressure testing of how the data is modeled. Unless you're working with true environmental on-farm data, how are you modeling your data and how successful are the outcomes? Because, you know, these frameworks have been around for a while and, and you know, the, We've had some success, but it's not as if um, we've crossed the finish line as, it's, as it uh, applies to sustainable cotton. There's still a lot more work that we can do. And when we think of what's going on in the regenerative agriculture community right now, and I am a believer that regenerative agriculture is agnostic to organic and conventional, which differs from other people's opinions. I recognize that. But I believe that when you see a conventional farmer who's using a heavy rye residue crop and rolling, crimping it over and creating this alleopathic environment that prevents the germination of pigweed that, that, that means that they don't have to use herbicide, that is the most exciting thing that you could hope, possibly hope for, right? Like using those natural systems to minimize the, uh, the need for artificial inputs is, is uh, it's a goal of, of uh, can be a goal of all cotton growing, no matter if it's organic, conventional, or where it comes from. It is not elite or somehow exclusive to, to just a, an organic practice. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky, but I think uh, a lot more needs to be defined. Yeah, and I think that's right. You know, Rowan, and you, you said it correctly. Like, you can't, it's hard, um, you know, growing up in, in the industry and being here for me is, you know, explaining really what the definition of organic is because just because you know maybe it's labeled organic doesn't mean there's not chemistry used on it or you know explaining that the practices and you said regions i'll say you know from state to state or even you know county to county so when you look in some of the areas you know in north carolina we look at you know our growers and the western part of north carolina farm completely different than my growers in southeast um, who grow cotton so yeah you kind of you're exactly right it's such a big conversation that i'm excited through you know some of the things we're able to tackle it and have those hard conversations and discussions. Um, and, you know, we covered a lot of ground today and a lot of different things, but, you know, Rowan, are there any other things that you'd like to add or, you know, just kind of mention about Cotton's role in your, you know, Contour Wrangler's products today? Yeah. I mean, for, for Lee and, and Wrangler both, you know, it's um, cotton is something that has historically been our, our material input. It's something that will continue to be an important part of our portfolio. And, you know, we've, we have uh, a, a historical presence in the Western Hemisphere and buying a lot of U.S. cotton. It's been very important to us. You know, I think that, you know, as we think forward in the future and as we think forward, you know, as two brands within this larger ecosystem, that at the end of the day, this is something that the topic of, of sustainability, regenerative ag, the topic of, of, of land stewardship, and even just pushing the envelope on innovation and sustainable implementation these are things that, that we can collaborate on. We have to collaborate on that. We have to collaborate on across industries and across different types of organizations and really do it in a meaningful way. And, you know, I, I, we compete on a lot of things in this, in this industry and, and there's some things that we don't have to compete on. And this is the topic that we need to advance and share for the betterment of humanity and society. This is uh, we only got one shot at this. And, you know, I think it's, you know, in the, the spirit of, of trying to advance um, everything in, in a direction that ultimately sustains itself, that um, 
you know, this is the important work. So I'm super appreciative of what you guys are doing. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I just look forward to our next interaction and our next ability to, to make some change. Yeah, absolutely. A great discussion. And, you know, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And um, Bob and Andrew, thank you guys, um, as always, for kind of bringing the questions that we always get in the industry and bringing those here. Um, and Roland, I will ask if any of our listeners want to learn more about the Contour brand or any different collections, a Wrangler Ruta collection, um, where, would, where should they go to find that information? Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy. Wrangler.com, Lee.com. We have uh, sustainability pages for each of the brands. Um, you know, if you look or search rooted in the, on Wrangler, you'll see that particular uh, uh, product line. And, and we are getting ready to, uh, to, to share more. Um, we have a podcast coming up. Um, we've got the Into Good, uh, hosted by Kingpins and, uh, and Lee. So that's coming out later this year, um, you know, fourth quarter kind of thing. But uh, excited to share and, and meet you guys there as well. So thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Rowan. And I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and your support through um, our podcast and hope that you enjoyed our show today. And should you guys have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF, please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. And see you guys next time.